On today's show, we speak with an advocacy expert whose organization is the leader in shaping and developing the sign, graphics, and visual communications community. Stay tuned as we learn more. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello, folks. I hope you're enjoying season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. On today's show, we speak with David Hickman, Vice President of Advocacy for the International Sign Association, where he oversees and coordinates ISA's legislative, grassroots, and legal efforts. David's main goal in his professional life is to help government officials understand the value of signs and to enact regulations at the local, state, and federal level so that businesses and communities benefit. Before starting at ISA, David spent six years on Capitol Hill working as a legislative assistant in the U.S. Senate and as legislative counsel in the U.S. House of Representatives. Since 2011, David and his ISA advocacy team have educated nearly 8,000 local government officials and helped hundreds of jurisdictions all over America develop reasonable and beneficial sign regulations. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome David to today's show. Welcome, David. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you as well. Now, let's get started. Can you briefly explain the importance of the International Sign Association? Sure, Roger. We are the trade association for the on-premise sign industry. So the off-premise sign industry are billboards. We are not billboards. Our members manufacture, install, maintain on-premise signs, and those are the signs that any retailer or healthcare facility or church would have on the premises of their property. And uh, so our members are manufacturers, they are suppliers and distributors. And we like to, we provide them with education, we provide them with networking, Opportunities such as our, the ISA International Sign Expo held annually, other sorts of events, and of course, what I do, which is um, advocacy, working on local sign regulations. So your members' products are almost entirely regulated by jurisdictions, kind of like cities, towns, and counties. How do you keep abreast? I mean, you're one man in one place, and we have thousands of those type of jurisdictions. So how do you keep abreast of what must be an ever-changing landscape in sign regulations? Right. Uh, There are about 20,000 local jurisdictions in the United States, depending who's counting. And each of them have their own unique sign ordinance. And so that's a lot to to keep track of and to to try to uh, 
effect. So it's not just me. I do have two colleagues with me at ISA in our advocacy department who help, who help uh, track these and then work with local officials on them to, to make them more reasonable. So, the, and just take a step back, one of the main problems with signed ordinances, ordinances or signed codes or signed regulations, however, however they're called, is that a lot of local officials are largely, you know, there's, they don't know all the time how signs should be regulated so that they're as effective as possible for the business that uses them. So a lot of times you have sign regulations that make, that require signs to be too short, too small, you know, less bright. So they're not as visible at night or they're located, you know, out of, out of the um, right of way or, or vision. So they're hard to see. And our job is to try to work with these communities so that they develop sign regulations that are you know, research-based, that are, that are scientifically sound, that, so that people can see them uh, effectively and they can make um, sound driving decisions and they can see what businesses have to offer. And so that they can, um, again, so that businesses and communities can benefit. So it's really hard to, not only do we have to track these sign regulations, but we have to you know, come up with a way to um, deal with, every, with, with all of them that we find out about. And it can just, it can vary in so many different ways on each, what each community is doing with their sign regulations. You know, I, uh, I spoke with the, the head of advocacy for Amazon and uh, they had a team of 60 people uh, that specifically worked on delivery uh, rules and regulations that are put out there by the local jurisdictions because they, they had said that there were 10,000 different rules about their delivery throughout the country. And all they were trying to do was to create some sort of a uniform uh, code that made it a little bit easier when they would go literally drive from one jurisdiction to the next to the next and having to know and understand what they could and could not do. So are you attempting to assist these jurisdictions in creating uniform uh, sign standards? No, uh, not uniform sign standards, you know, because every community is different. You know, you're not going to have Peoria wanting the same sort of sign regulations as Las Vegas. And, and, and so forth. So every community is different. Every community has different needs. It could be a community with a historic background or one that wants to really provide um, a great place for commercial activity or, or something that's, or and you have, of course, many communities that are more rural. So every, every community has different signage needs. And so we don't want to um, have sort of any sort of uniform requirements, but there are some things that when it comes to signs that are the same, um, no matter where you are in the country, and that signs need to be visible, they need to be conspicuous, they need to be readable, so that you know drivers or pedestrians can see them, and that, and that businesses and you know, other establishments can get their communication out there. And we learned during the pandemic, especially when it first happened, just the, the incredible value of signs um, during then, like when, and places were trying to attract customers and let them know that they're still open or that they need to come in or go around to a certain place to, to the drive-through. You know, sign has just played an incredibly important role. And we saw a lot of communities really loosen up their sign regulations, especially, you know, in the first year of the pandemic, so that they could communicate with the, with the public in those uncertain times. 
Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great example. I think we all remember, you know, the businesses either saying that we're open or it's uh, uh, takeout only for restaurants and etc. And, et mm-hmm. and, and it, you made me think when you mentioned Las Vegas. I, I don't really think in Coyote or in Cody, Wyoming, uh, out, out in front of a Western uh, museum, that they would want a sixty-foot neon tower. Uh, like would work in Las Vegas. So you, you make a great point of differentiate the needs uh, and desires of different cities a- along the way. I, I picked up on the fact that uh, you have 32 different position statements that are listed, and they're probably even more than that, uh, but that are, that are kind of publicly listed on your, uh, on your website. How do you engage your members regarding those position statements? Well, we actually have 40, Roger. So, we'll, <laughs> but we are uh, working on updating all of them actually at, at the moment. And we use um, various uh, committees and, and experts on, on the issues to come up with them or to, to, re, to revise them. But we've had a lot of these position statements out for a decade or so. And the importance of these position statements and that, I think that other trade associations probably have them for their respective industries, is to let government officials know, you know what the industry thinks about these specific regulatory issues and, and uh, to try to educate um, them on what, what they should do. Uh, basically, when it comes to our position statements, we would uh, have staff work with uh, members to identify what issues need to have position statements. And then we have a process where uh, we would have various volunteers you know, from the sign industry to help us develop the position statements. And then they'd go through a process where they would be um, revi- reviewed, revised, and then finally approved you know, all the way through our board of directors. And then we would have them publicized and you know, we recommend we have our members use them when they need to educate. Uh, their local officials that, that they work with on a daily basis. So you're working, let's say, let's say as an example of a city. Uh, just take that as an example. Typically, who are you working with within the city? Is it usually a city manager or is there a specific department that most of these mm-hmm. regulations fall under? Our main contact with communities are planners, city planners. Those are the folks, those are the local officials who draft sign regulations. And you know, we usually find out when a community is revising their sign ordinance. So every community has a sign code. And then we somehow find out out of the 20,000 local jurisdictions that some city, Cody, Wyoming, is going to be revising their sign ordinance to, let's say, um, restrict digital signs or electronic message centers. So we find out about that somehow. And we're getting better at that. But if you can imagine, if there's 20,000 local jurisdictions, it's really hard to keep in three of us at USA tracking them. It's really difficult to, you know, some things fall through the cracks, but for the most part, what, we're, what we've been doing is uh, trying to track them online as much as possible, Google alerts, things like that. Uh, but, and then also having our members on the ground level, when they hear about a, a community that they live in or that they do work in, that, that that community is revising their sign ordinance, they let us know. So I've been with, uh, Roger, I've been with ISA for 50, going on 15 years now. And, you know, it's, it's been my mission to try to find an online resource that tracks 
local ordinances. A lot of people listening probably use uh, online legislative tracking services for federal issues, for state issues. Those are obviously very easy to track and, and they're useful, but since a lot of the issue, most of the issues that we deal with are at the local level of government, we don't have much need for state or, or federal tracking services. But for a very long time now, there's been no way to, to have to track local ordinances in a similar way. <laughs> but I've been with ISA long enough that I've been able to see sort of an evolution where now, you know, in, in the very recent, the very recent days, there have been um, online services that are able to track the agendas in the minutes of, um, of local communities. And that is a great way for us to find um, find out about local sign code developments ahead of time. And that it'll help us become way more effective. And this is ongoing right now, Roger. We're talking with some folks that provide these services. Before that, you know, when we, I mentioned Google Alerts are tracking stories online. It is basically, it's a story where it says uh, the city council is going to be voting on the site ordinance tomorrow. Now, that doesn't give us a lot of time. Or, or it's a story that says the city council voted to approve the site ordinance two days ago. Uh, so you know, a lot of the times we were um, really scrambling to find out about these Sanco developments then analyzing them, finding out what's good or what's bad about them, telling our members about them. And sometimes we even uh, go to these communities for a sort of rapid response and, and meet with the, with the local officials and our members on the ground to try to uh, get the outcome that we're looking for. So do the city planners, as an example, ever reach out to your organization to talk about the best practices of those uh, uh, when creating or revising a sign ordinance? Yeah, absolutely they do. And this has been a great sort of process and development that we've seen in my time at ISA. You know, in theory, there is an adversarial relationship between sign companies and planners, because for the most part, as I alluded to earlier, a lot of them are, you know, don't know how signs need to be regulated so that they're as effective as possible. And a lot of them have preconceived notions about signs, like they need to be smaller and shorter and more inconspicuous, which is basically the opposite of what businesses want for their signs. They want their signs to be noticed. So, you know, Sometimes there's some clashing between local officials, the planning community, and the sign industry. So we've spent a lot of time over the past decade or so um, working with planners, and they're they're so they're a they're a professional society, the American Planning Association, uh, specifically to develop content and educational resources for them, uh, so that we can then educate planners on various um, sign code best practices. So for example, they have, the APA has a national planning conference every year. And um, for the past five or six years, we've um, submitted educational proposals to them and they've accepted us. And we go there to these events, to these conferences where there's thousands of planners and they will, will provide sessions for them on, you know, on uh, trending regular sign regulatory issues. Uh, for example, five years ago, there was a Supreme Court case regarding sign, sign regulations. And so we've been sort of the go-to resource for planners and other groups of local officials when they need to, they know that they need to come up with sign codes that are compliant with the Supreme Court decision. 
So we've been doing, we've been providing a lot of resources on that. We have a foundation, the Sign Research Foundation, which I highly recommend that um, listeners go to if they want to check out signresearch.org. Uh, that they they come up with, uh, they work with academics and research researchers to come up with um, products and best practices so that planners can then use. And uh, they're you know there's they they can use this highly credible, highly reputable these resources to come up with sign regulations to learn more about them. So the past 10 years, as you said, um, when you're introducing me, we've reached nearly 8,000 planners and other local officials through the APA, through the conference, through doing webinars, through doing sessions at their local chapters. Um, and we've had, we've established a really good working relationship with the folks who regulate signs. So in working with their organization and particularly uh, local chapters and so on and so forth, who usually goes in and tells that story? Have you created a network of grassroots advocates that are well enough uh, acquainted with those issues to do that? Or is it your staff that goes in and does that? Uh, well, it, it, it's a little bit of both. Luckily, you know, so many of our members in the sign industry, it's something that they do every day working with their community planner or their community building code uh, folks or for their city council members. Now, a lot of them have relationships just because they do a lot of work with this. So what we like to do is when, when, our, when SRF, when the Sign Research Foundation comes up with resources or when ISA has these position statements, you know, a lot of times our members will take these resources and give them to, to these local officials that they work with to help them, to help inform them on how to make better sign code decisions. Like if we can't make it, so they use the resources that we developed and they use them to educate their local officials that they work with every day. Then we have, um, you know, me and my staff go um, to, to, uh, to make these presentations in front, at these planner events. So there's that, or, or we go to these communities on our rapid response efforts you know, a few times a year to speak in front of city council members when they're debating uh, whether a sign code uh, provision will, will pass or not. Uh, we also have, you know, we have a network of members uh, in our industry that we get, that want to be involved and want to volunteer their times. Like, I'm so impressed with these folks who have you know, day jobs, but still volunteer their times to, to work with ISA to help us, especially with their advocacy efforts. I mean, we're talking um, all the way up from, the, from our board of directors through our steering committees and our public affairs committee and all the subcommittees under them that have to do with advocacy and regulatory topics um, and everyone who makes up our affiliated associations, all the executive directors there, and they all have their own board of directors and other volunteer groups who really, it's great to have their expertise and their perspective and to, to help us come up with better resources, uh, not just to educate local officials, but also to, um, to better educate sign companies. Because you know, we've talked a lot about advocating and educating planners and local officials, that's huge. But we also have another half of advocating and educating and that is the sign companies, our members. Um, you know, I talked about how we provide them with resources from the foundation that we come up with so that they can educate um, planners that they work with. But we also offer webinars and sessions specifically to sign companies so that they can learn how to 
uh, talk and work with local officials or how they can you know, comply with federal regulations and, and things like that. So basically our advocacy efforts are two-pronged for two main audiences, but it's two completely different sort of approaches. I would also think, don't you have to then educate the businesses through the sign companies, A, of what is legally uh, that they have to comply with and how to, uh, like you indicated earlier, you know, they want their signs to be seen and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and be effective in, in growing their business uh, along that way. So how do you work with them then? Same, same process? Uh, there are some similarities, but you're, you're right, Roger, that it's critical to get the, these customers, retailers, churches, healthcare facilities, all these, all these buildings that use signs to, to get people there. Uh, to get them involved and you know one, one thing that we deal with me and my staff is when we go to work on when we make these rapid response trips to to get in front of local officials to say hey you need to this sign code proposal isn't good that sometimes they'll just say well you know you're just the sign industry you just want to sell more signs so what we find really effective then is if we get our sign company members to get their customers at these meetings are to sign letters to get them involved in you know, their pharmacies, their grocery stores, gas stations in these communities. Local officials are more apt to, you know, to listen to their concerns because those are their constituents. Those are the folks who pay taxes, who employ people there in the community. So it's really important. Yeah, and, and their ability to inject their personal story of how that affects uh, yeah. their, their business and their operation, correct? Yeah, these end users is what we what we call them mostly. They can be advocates as well, and we help them. We help them do that. So, it, with your rapid response team, I would I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong here, that's really what your whole grassroots network is 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 a part of that. And then maybe your grass tops become your rapid response team. Would would that be correct? Or not? Most most of our work is at the local sign code level is tracking and analyzing sign ordinance proposals. So that, that's, that's the, the bulk of it. Go making these trips and going to, and making these appearances, you know, ISA staff doing, you know, parachuting into a community um, is something that we do, you know, uh, on, a, on a much more infrequent uh, basis, but it's still something that we do. It's something that our members love that we, you know, when we show up and, and help them in person, to do that, but most of our efforts is spent, you know, tracking and analyzing these local sign code developments, and then helping members in those areas um, deal with them and working with local officials, you know, over email or phone as much as possible um, to, to help guide them along. And we're successful a lot of the time. So, how do you train these members or your grassroots advocates to be more effective and influential in that process? Because we know. That just because you show up doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be effective in, in what you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's imperfect. So like I said, a lot of these sign companies have experience working with local officials every day because they have to get signs permitted. Right. You know, that, that, that's a key thing that you can't just go in there and put a sign up at a grocery store. You have to, the grocery store has to work with the sign company and the sign company has to say, okay, according to this sign Sign ordinance, it can only be this big, and you can only use these colors. And you know, then the community in the city will give you permission 
uh, to have this sort of sign, and that's the sign. That's the sign company's responsibility. Um, so they have that experience. They're usually very good in um, working with community, with the local officials, to make sure that that, that say their grocery store customer can get that sign. But when there are issues, um, that's when, like I said, they can hopefully use the resources developed by ISA and from our, from SRF, and they can you know, check out um, webinars that we have um, to help them uh, work with local officials to say, here's what you need to bring up. Um, here's, here are the key issues that you need to focus on in order to try to make um, a bigger difference as possible. And we always encourage them always to contact us, to keep us in the loop. And we, if we can't be there, we'll try to work with local officials behind the scenes, you know, online, or we'll help our members, we'll, as much as possible so that they feel comfortable because it's it's hard for ordinary folks to to get in front of in, uh, um, of a of a hearing and to have you know three minutes to talk about key issues and it, you know it can be awfully nerve-wracking at times for them so we just try to make it as easy for them as possible right give them the tools that enable them yep. to communicate within that select period of time to to get that message message out that's so, right. you, so you deal an awful lot with, with the, the city planners, but ultimately, then when it goes to a vote, you're dealing with the elected official. Uh, do you find it's difficult to develop those relationships with the elected officials as opposed to the planners or, uh, or just as easy? Um, That's a loaded I mean, question, it, I'm sure. It, it, it varies because in some ways it's easier because city council members say, or the elected officials are way more, are more responsive to say the chamber, the local chamber of commerce or to local businesses, okay? So that's helpful. So if we can get that community, if we can get that, if we can connect the dots between the end users and the sign regulations for the city council members, they're a little bit more receptive to that than say planners are who are more insular, working behind the scenes, developing it. But at the same time, you know, we have these connections with the APA and planning organizations and this, and this reputation and this credibility that we've built up over the years. So that's also a good way, that, that's a good way for us to um, have a more of a positive influence with planners than say that we would with city council members because we haven't had the same sort of success with like the uh, National League of Cities or the ICMA that work with these um, these local officials who end up voting on the sign on the sign regulations. So you had mentioned earlier about kind of the lack of technology, if you will, compared to tracking issues at a state and national level. Have you found any technology tools? You, you know, you kind of said you skirted around that you're close. To getting that, have you found any technology advocacy technology tools that'll be able to access that information at this point? Well, yeah, we think that we have. This has been sort of my white whale over <laughs> the time that I've been at ISA, trying to find this resource and you know talking with these with these businesses over the years that provide federal and state legislative tracking services. You know, do you provide local? Oh yeah, yeah, we could do that. And then we when we take a look at it. It's just not what we're looking for at all. But you know, after after years and years of 
of, of finding this. I think that businesses are finding that are discovering that this is going to be a good business model for them to to provide this because there's so much going on at the local level that that businesses want to know about and to track that this is going to be valuable um, a valuable uh, resource to offer. So it, it's just coincidental that as we're talking, as you and, I, you and I are talking today, my team has been talking with vendors who are now, we're looking at what they have to offer and it is getting more and more, looks like it's more and more what we could use to track sign regulations at a local level of government. It's still incredibly labor intensive and would require a lot of work to do, but it's gonna be so much more effective than what we've been doing uh, you know, for the past decade. And uh, I have to imagine that you know, we're seeing some, some positive uh, resources being offered now that these are only gonna get better, right? And as technology advances and, you know, and uh, so I have high hopes for the future, but things are definitely looking up as we speak. One of the things that I bring up when I work with organizations and I train people to be become more effective influential advocates is that there are approximately 327,000 uh, elected officials in the United States. 327,000 elected officials. Sure. There's only 537 elected at the federal level between the Senate and the House and the President and the Vice President. Uh, and then you've got about 7,000 at the state level. So you've got approximately 320,000 that go anywhere from the local township and any of those local jurisdictions up through and to the state level uh, that are elected. And so you're dealing with those 300,000 people across the country with what you deal with. And so it makes sense to me that somebody at some point is going to figure out with the technology of being able to how to coordinate that information uh, to get out to you. Uh, well, the, well, one thing, one, what, one thing about that, Roger, is that it really provides many more opportunities for successes and positive outcomes than at the federal or even state level. So, you know, I spent six years on Capitol Hill and, you know, it is so much more difficult to get things through the legislative process there as I'm sure everyone knows. And it's much harder to get to get in there and you know, just meet staff, never mind um, you know, the actual congressmen or senators or getting into uh, regulatory agencies and, and get things done. It's incredibly difficult, but making change at the local level of government is there's just so much more opportunities and you have these, you have these um, relationships at the local level of government where you can definitely get someone's ear a lot easier. And it's just so much, we've had so many more, we have had positive outcomes at ISA, um, at the federal and state local of government, but so many more at the local level of government. It's just so many more opportunities to have success and it's totally possible. Well, and, and, and to the point of that, these are the people that everybody knows in the community. They go mm -hmm. to the church, they go to the grocery store, they, you know, they have to use the medical facilities and, and, and they go to the restaurants and the stores and so on and so forth. So yes, it, you know, being known in the community makes, makes a huge difference with that. Let me, let me pivot a little bit. And uh, I, uh, 
I'm often called a, uh, my wife calls me this all the time, a, a poli-sci geek for my love of political science. So what made you select history and political science as your major in college? Uh, well, I love history. I love reading, <laughs> and especially American history. And so as, as I was reading American history, just as a young boy, just learning more about politics and American and what the role is played in our history. And then, uh, you know, love reading about it, learning about it, talking about it. And so that's, it just seemed logical to me to, to do that in college. And I'm really just pleased with myself, I guess is one way to put it. I know so many people that majored in one thing in college, and then they're doing something completely different in their, in their professional lives. And I'm really just I love it that, you know, I, I did history and politics, political science in college, and I've, you know, worked on Capitol Hill and now working on local issues, the local levels of government at, at ISA and getting things done, um, you know, on issues that I really care about. You mentioned earlier that you've been at ISA for 15, almost going on 16 years now. Uh, where do you go now at this stage of your career? for any type of additional kind of advocacy education? Uh, you know, ASAE is, is, is a great resource. The American Society of Association Executives, yeah. Right. And, you know, I have colleagues and peers on Capitol Hill that, you know, we get together every once in a while and talk about. However, if, you know, if you can't tell, huh, advocacy at ISA is so unique. Like a lot of my colleagues and friends from the old days are lobbying on federal issues and, you know, and working on things like that. And when I tell them what I do, they just sort of, you know, their jaws drop and say, how in the world are you able to, to work on those kinds of issues? And, and it's just completely different. So kind of alone in that regard, but there are, like I said, not only are there an increasing number of resources that track local issues, there are groups like um, that have uh, state and local um, offerings that, that we, you know, that I can turn to. And, but, you know, even then the, the, they focus a lot on state issues. And, you know, when people learn what we do at the local level, they're always, they're always imp impressed. Right. So what is the best professional career tip you ever received? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. It, I'm not sure if it's a tip so much. as just something that I've always adhered to, which is try to learn something new every day. And that definitely has been, um, the case at ISA. And when it comes to the sign industry and the way that signs regulated, like you'd be surprised, um, what local officials would come up with in terms of how they want to regulate signs. And so, you know, expanding your knowledge base on a regular, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and learning something new every day is a philosophy that I've tried to live by as much as possible. And, and a lot of, I've heard about this from my mentors and people that um, I respect as well. So what advice would you give a young person who wants to get into advocacy and work in a position, whether it be in an association or uh, even on Capitol Hill? 
you know, chase your carrot is, is what I might say. You know, you, you, you've seen the cartoons where there's a donkey pulling a heavy load and they have a pole out in front of them with a carrot so that, that the donkey always goes after no matter how hard it is. And it just keeps them going. And, you know, that, that's what I do. I have goals that I have in my, you know, in my professional life that I always have, things that I always want to achieve, whether it's in the House or the Senate or at ISA. And you don't always reach that carrot but you're always working toward it. And sometimes you do reach that carrot and hopefully it's, you know, sauteed, honey glazed and uh, it tastes really good then when that happens. So just figure out what you want to identify, what you want to accomplish. You know, hopefully it's, it's something that means a lot to you personally. Okay. And you know, that just helps make your professional life that much more satisfying. You've been very informative today, and I think you've probably opened a ton of eyes to people out there that had, one, had no clue really what the International Sign Association would do, two, and, and how it touches so many jurisdictions out there. Are, are there any final thoughts you'd like to add? Well, Roger, you're not the only one. I didn't know what ISA was or what how our house signs were regulated before I you know, stumbled into this uh, position and and learn and eventually just learned how awesome the sign industry is and how passionate and knowledgeable and artistic and um, everyone is and, and they're great at business and you know they have to work with they have to develop these relationships so that's been great to learn over over the you know past fifteen years very impressed with the sign industry so hopefully people will come away with. You know, you don't think about signs at all until someone says, yeah, take a, take a right at the, at the, you know, the big red sign or something like that. And um, so I, 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 whenever my family and I go on road trips, we pass through, you know, a place off the highway and they can tell if that's a community with a restrictive sign code or, you know, in, in what they allow. So we're, we're kind of freaks that way now. Um, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I I, I get that. Is is there anything else that you'd like to add about ISA? Uh, No, I I would say, you know, number one, you know, the pandemic just proved how important signs are and it really, um, and and therefore it gave ISA an opportunity to to serve an an important role uh, for our industry and for communities across the country to to use signs, graphics, and visual communications to communicate uh, with, the, with the public during those you know, uncertain and, and pretty dangerous times. And I might also add, Roger, that there is a, a pending Supreme Court case involving sign regulations that ISA was pretty heavily involved with. It's called Austin versus uh, Reagan. And um, it, it is, uh, it, the, there were oral arguments last month, um, I'm sorry, on November 10th, and we expect the decision to come out to come out in spring or summer uh, this year. And however the case turns out, it's, it's going to have a huge impact on our industry and the way that signs are regulated across the country. So um, if anyone wants it, we're definitely following that with keen interest. And you know, if, any, if anyone wants to check that out, it's Austin versus Reagan. And we have two amicus briefs uh, for that. First, we encourage the court to, to grant certiorari to take up the case. 
And, and if anyone follows the Supreme Court, that they know that that is, it's highly unlikely that, a, that the court will grant cert, uh, but they did. And then we submitted a brief urging them to overturn the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. And uh, so that was just a great, so we, it was just, it was so cool working on that, especially considering how rarely we work on federal issues, but to be so intimately involved in the Supreme Court. And our, our brief was cited during oral arguments. So it was just, um, it was a, a really great experience. That sounds very exciting. David, how can people get more information on the International Sign Association? Well, you can go to www.signs.org, which is our website. You can check out everything that we have to offer about our expo, which is a huge event that we have every year. We're having it um, in Atlanta in May. In, in just a few months, it's gonna be the first time that we've had our expo in person since 2019, if you can imagine. So we're really excited about that. Uh, we usually have about 20,000 folks at these shows. Uh, so check that out. And, we, and also reference the Sign Research Foundation. Uh, I would go there to it's www.signresearch.org. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, David, that's a, that's a wrap of today's wonderful conversation with Dave Hickey, Vice President of, of Advocacy for the International Sign Association. Thank you, David, for being on the show today, and I wish you all the best. Thanks, Roger. Looking forward to uh, an eventful and successful 2022. Aren't we all? Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.